We have 42 men from our congregation away at men's retreat this weekend. Feels a little thin, feels a little heavy on estrogen, but we're super excited for all you guys who are here today with us. We love that you came and just trust that God is going to minister to you here as well. So thanks. So a lot of dads and husbands are away this weekend, right? How many other spouses, moms, and such can testify to that? Your husband's out of town. Mine is. That was fun doing it all myself this morning. Um, So how are you doing? How's your week been? You can shout out an answer if you have one. What have you been up to? How's it going? Everybody laughs. Okay, thank you. She just, like, they're lifting up their coffees. They're like, this is all we got right now. I'm just doing the coffee thing. You made it. You got here. I get it. It's a little busy, right? It's a common response when you ask, so how's it going? So like, oh, it's good, it's busy, right? Or it's okay, I'm, I'm a little busy. Or man, it is just downright chaotic. My hair is on fire, like I'm just going insane, right? It's a common response because life is so full. It's very full. And so this, oh, Rose, yeah. So, I've got a little visual aid for you this morning. So, we have a lot of things that we're trying to do, right? We have our work. Some of us are still trying to get our education. Right? Here's our work. A lot of us have kids. That's a whole big thing in and of itself. Thanks. A lot of us are married, got all these boxes. We're trying to take care of our health. I'm just going to keep stacking here. Education, right? Our finances, we can't forget about those. It's important. How many of you do a lot of driving? I know, like, some of you guys, your um, job commute is legit, and you work in, like, three offices and have to be at three different offices two times a day. Or maybe you have, like, four kids in four schools. There's some of you out there I've talked to. You, like, (laughs) raise your hand. It's a lot of time in the car, right? We have our church life. A lot of you volunteer here. Don't want to forget about this, your devotional life, trying to read stuff. How many of you do some cleaning? Okay. Men and women alike, right? This is, this is the gift that keeps on giving right here. It's never done. Ugh, don't really want it to tip over. That will mess up my metaphor. Okay. Cooking. We all do a little bit of cooking. Sometimes you try to put stuff inside of things to make it be like less boxes, but you still got to do it, right? You have your extended family. Ooh, I'm getting nervous about this order here. How many of you guys volunteer at school? You got the Harvest Festival, all kinds of stuff happening. Your kids' school, volunteer in the community. Oh my gosh, laundry. (laughs) Says here, odor relief. It's not enough relief. I'm just gonna throw that out there, right there. Okay, and then on top of all that, you gotta make sure you get like eight, seven, eight hours of sleep a night. Oh no, I really actually don't want this to tip over. We'll see how it does. So we got a lot of boxes. And I haven't even really gotten started on the list. 
because it keeps growing. Right? We have coffee with friends to provide some emotional support and maybe receive some emotional support, if we're honest. We pay bills. We read aloud 20 minutes a day, at least, to our kids. We make sure the homework gets done, lunches are made, sports practices attended. And depending upon the age, there's diapers and sippy cups and Legos. We navigate new cultural norms with our teenagers. We wash the loveys, the blankets, the smelly jerseys, the uniforms, and all the socks, pay the bills, wipe the noses, care for colds, drop the car off for maintenance, make the dentist appointments, go to the doctor's appointments, help with science projects, make meal for somebody who's sick, drop off the snacks for the classroom, bring supplies to the art project for church. We try to counteract some of the lies in our culture and fill our children with the truth. We pray. We have music recitals, school plays, harvest festival coordination, mow the yard, household errands, grow the garden, keep track of investments, plan for Christmas gatherings, read our Bible, Maybe go to therapy at this point. <laughs> Read other books to better ourselves. We snuggle, give lots of kisses. We, are, we mentor people. We are mentored. We grab the neighbor's mail while they are on vacation. Feed the dog. Sometimes we're dealing with special needs and we're a trauma counselor. We check in on an aging grandparent or parent. We interrupt ourselves to post about it on, <laughs> on Instagram. And we check in with our friends who live far away on Facebook. And also, don't forget to floss. <laughs> Does anybody ever feel this way? Like, wow, this is a really a lot. And it is a lot. And it's not a lot because you haven't found the right time management app. I've spent so much time in my life trying to figure out, oh, how can I, like, maximize all of this? And it just is a lot. And it's okay that it's a lot. And it's, it's not you. <laughs> Sometimes I feel like it's me. It's not you. And I want you to feel okay that it's a lot and sort of accept the reality that it's a lot. I was telling Rich a few weeks ago, like, man, I just really don't feel like I'm, like, banging on all eight cylinders, you know, that I'm just, like, going for it. And then I stopped, and I'm like, it's because I have, like, 25 cylinders that I'm trying to, like, hit and keep moving and keep going forward. And it is just a busy season. And I'm here to tell you that it's okay that it's busy. There's a part of us that has to accept it. And yeah, there might be some tweaking we need to do. Sometimes there's boxes that need to be removed. But really, like, you can't really remove any of these boxes that are up here. They're important, right? Although I would love to drop kick that laundry one. <laughs> I've thought of that many times. But I'm here to tell you that there is rest in the busyness. And that's what I want to talk to you guys about today. Rest, rest for your soul. The last few weeks, we've been talking about the goodness and faithfulness of God and how it can be experienced in every season. And we've heard from different generations about what's both good and challenging in their current, se their current season. And I loved how Nate has been talking to different people in our community and just hearing about what they're going through. I don't know about you, that's been a huge blessing to my life. If you haven't been here the last few weeks, it's definitely worth a listen online. But we've heard from the young, we've heard from the experienced, and now you're going to hear from me. I'm kind of in the middle, and I'm in right in the thick of the busy season, the busy years. Um, for those of you who are new here, 
most of you I'm friends with and I know you, you know my life, but um, I have two boys. Uh, my husband is the executive director here at the church. I sell real estate and I'm also the worship director here at the church. Um, my kids are very busy, as most children are. They keep our lives extremely full. And so that's what I'm, I'm right in the middle. And Nate has asked every single person, what is challenging about this season for you? And I can say for me, and I think for many of us who are right in the throes of building our careers and raising our children, we are tired. We are busy and we are tired. So today I'm going to be doing a little less teaching and a little bit more testifying about what God has shown, been showing me in this particular area over the last few months. So um, many of you know that Rich who's my husband, he had his seventh year sabbatical this summer, and our family, we got to travel to Europe, and it was an awesome time. We went, Switzerland was my favorite, just in case you were wondering, we went to several countries. Rich and Ndale, as you, if you've been around, you know by now, um, cycled. They rode their bikes from Canterbury, London to Rome. And then my youngest, Jude and I, we, we kind of went the um, engine-dependent route, and we went on lots of boats. There's Jude on a boat um, in Switzerland, which was my favorite spot, and buses and trains, and so we had a lot of fun together, and we sort of were able to follow Rich and Andale along in part of their journey. But before I left, the Lord reminded me of a scripture out of Jeremiah, and it says this, this is what the Lord says, Stand at the crossroads and look. Ask for the ancient paths. Ask where the good way is and walk in it, and you will find rest for your souls. So it was, Rich actually had already left, and I was a few weeks away from leaving. Jude and I were going to go meet him. And my initial thought as this scripture came to mind and I looked it up and was sort of reading what was around it, like, oh, this is cute. Like, Rich and Andale are on a path. You know, they're following an an actually ancient pilgrim path um, for large portions of it in Europe. And, oh, this is adorable. Like, an ancient path. How cute. You know, so I thought, I wrote it down in my journal, and I began to think about it. I'm like, Lord, there might be something here for me, too. So I wrote it down. I did some study. I, like I love to do, I studied the context and what was happening with the children of Israel during that time, and I just sort of wrote it down in my journal, and I made some observations. So, first of all, this idea of ancient paths, maybe not necessarily literally, although that can be the case, but more figuratively. I want ancient, not just because it's old and cool compared to my modern life, and it's not really the charm and the novelty of it that I seek, I want ancient because it's already been tested. It has already been shaken, and there's something remaining. And just by the simple fact that it's remaining, it's worth taking a look at. Ancient doesn't have the flair and the newness, and it's usually not shiny anymore, but it's still there. And in my life, I'm because there's important boxes, because there's important core things that are important, I'm always looking to bring it back down to what are the deep anchoring truths, the time-tested things 
the things that I know are reliable and good, and that's what I want to build my hope and my life on. And at some point, you kind of, that's really all you have time for. <laughs> the superfluous needs to be released, and what is essential needs to remain. And then there's also the phrase in our passage that you will find rest for your souls. And I love that, too. That always perks my interest. I don't know about you. Probably because of this and that nice long list that I read to you guys. And sometimes it is all you can do to just prevent becoming utterly exhausted. Honestly. So, back to this scripture. I thought it was cool. I wrote it down, made note of my observations, and then I kind of just forgot about it, to be honest with you. We went on our journey. It was busy. We were traveling. We were having a good time. So near the end of our trip, um, Richard and Dolly made it to Rome, and we stayed there for a few days to do some sightseeing. And we went to St. Peter's Basilica. We went to the Vatican Museums, everything you do when you go to Rome, right? The Colosseum, all of that. And a few years prior, um, or a few years ago, I heard about this place called the Catacombs of Priscilla, and it had just recently been opened up to the public, and it has some of the oldest Christian known art in the known world. Um, and so I thought, oh, I want to go see that for myself. So we, we took a trip. It was a little bit on the outskirts of town to the Catacombs of Priscilla, and I know this is, this is going to feel a little like an art history lesson, and I just have to apologize for that, but I think it's going to be worth it, so stick with me for a minute. But I was expecting it to be this large tourist attraction because it's so fascinating. And I'll tell you a little bit more about why it's so fascinating. But when we got there, it was like us and four other people on the tour, which for Rome is like, you know, the boondocks, essentially. So we're on this tour, and, I, and the art is from like 230 A.D. to 260 and the catacombs, which are these tunnels that go underground where um, Christians, early Christians, martyrs, they had been buried. And it had, over time, it had been looted. Some of the tunnels collapsed, and the art in them had been forgotten for centuries. And it was only recently that they were discovered and dug out, and then it was only about five years ago that it was opened up to the public. So we began to make our way underground. We go down into these catacombs. And our guide explained that the catacombs were not only a place where the dead buried, but a gathering place for mourning and for celebration. So it was sort of like a funeral that they would have down in there. And why, why was it celebratory? Well, for them, they, they were very acutely in touch with the idea of resurrection. Because when you die, you're one step closer for resurrection. So therefore, it is also cause to celebrate when somebody dies. So there were these large rooms downstairs with, the old, with some frescoes painted on the walls. And as I said, some of the earliest Christian art. The oldest Mary with baby Jesus is um, there. It's kind of hard to see on the screens, I think. Uh, the person that's pointing, that's a prophet. And then Mary, this is what the art historian was explaining to us. And then that's Mary and baby Jesus sort of in her lap. It's hard to see because it is from 200s, from the 200s. 
And this is sort of before what we think about as religious art. This is sort of before that formed, like, you know, now it's like a lot of crucifixes and, uh, you know, people having communion together and things like that. That all hadn't really developed yet. They, the cross as we know it today hadn't even developed at this point. But what Christians did during this time is they used Old Testament stories of salvation to communicate this idea of salvation, restoration, and transformation. So we saw many pictures of familiar stories in the Old Testament trying to communicate all those things, restoration, transformation. There were some renderings of Jonah and the fish, and because Jonah went into the belly for three days, and then he came out, and when he came out, he was essentially resurrected. He was uh, transformed by that experience, right? We also saw Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And their story is, of course, the fourth figure in the fire, and Christ delivered them. And so I got to tell you, like, we saw Daniel in the lion's den, also in the pit for three days, came out alive. So it's this whole idea of, like, resurrection. They were trying to communicate that on the walls down there. And I, I loved it. There was illustrations of a shepherd, and this was how Christ was depicted as a good and attentive shepherd. Um, it's a little bit tough to see up there because it is so old, but I love this. We've been studying Psalm 23 the last several weeks, and I just love the imagery of Christ. This was on a ceiling, sort of looking down and caring for his children. And then you had things like a group of Christians eating at a table, and there was baskets of bread and fish overflowing. There was an anchor on the wall to symbolize Christ as our anchor. And the whole thing was so rich. And I have to tell you, like after going to the Vatican and St. Peter's Basilica, which is, of course, beautiful and opulent, it did not touch me the way this touched me. It did not relate to me the way that this related to me. And I think maybe, you know, St. Peter's Basilica, maybe there's just a little too much baggage there. People, you know, are paying high indulgences and a great cost to build that place. And maybe Christ was definitely not represented very well in the whole process of that. But something about this really spoke to me, and it was so relatable to my own life, even though it was farther away in time than what I was seeing at the Basilica. And then one image in particular really spoke to me, and this is the one that's up on the screen. And it's a view of a woman, the person in the middle is a woman, um, and she's lifting her hands. And this was a very large, prominent piece. It was one of the larger pieces in the catacombs. And then on either side of her is the same woman in a smaller photo, one of her getting married and one of her becoming a mother. And something about this was so beautifully simple. The greatest and largest image of the woman with her praying, this is a stance of prayer for early Christians. This was the essence of her identity. It was the biggest picture. It was what was notable in the room. And then, off to either side, the wife and the mother. And for me, it was an amazing picture of how my roles and responsibilities or boxes to go back to 
our example here. Relate to what really should be central in my life, which is my relationship with Jesus, which is my life with Christ. That is what should be central. Oftentimes, our roles and identities, things like marriage or being in a relationship or having children and our careers, those oftentimes will be elevated, right, to the point. That's what people ask, you know, when you first meet them. What do you do? Everyone wants to know. All those things, your kids, let's talk about your kids. All those things oftentimes get elevated maybe out of, a, out of their proper place because the core and the, the center of who we are is who we are in Jesus. Thanks for that. So that woman, I kept thinking about her. I just thought, I just loved this. And I know that maybe this whole art, this might not speak to everybody the way it did to me. But the contrast of the basilica and all that, it just was speaking to me. And so it was about a week later, and we're laying on a beach. Talk about some rest. But (laughs) um, we're laying on a beach, and I just kept thinking about this picture and this woman and, and all the art that I'd seen in the catacombs, and I felt like the Lord just nudged me, and he said, there's your ancient path. There's the rest for your soul. This woman, she's praying, she's worshiping, and her relationship with God is primary. And this is truly how I desire to live my life, and I know many of you are in the same boat. We want Christ in the center of the room. We want our relationship with him to be in the forefront. And then I'm a wife, and then I'm a mother, and then I'm a worship director. And all these other things sort of are diminished, not that they aren't important, but in light of who Christ is and in light of who I am in him. So our identity and relationship with Christ must be central to all our roles and responsibilities. And it is when Christ is central that our capacity for rest grows. This is where I'm getting back to rest. So a few more thoughts on this. You guys know I love to talk about life in Christ. This is pretty much what I talk about when I get up here. Um, And I've done so many times before. But knowing my identity must be central to Christ wasn't really like a new idea to, to me. But how it connected to finding rest sort of was. That that is the conduit, the stream by which we find deeper rest. And I'm not talking about the rest that the world gives. I mean, I've, I've done the numbing out on Netflix and social media thing before. We, most of us probably have, or some version of that, Right? But I'm talking about a deep and abiding rest that even in chaos, there is rest that is stronger when the me time glow fades. And it always does, right? Me time will only get us so far. But it's in that vein where we understand our identity with Christ that our capacity for rest grows. This is our foundation So back to our boxes. Notice I didn't give Jesus his own box. And that's really because he's in all of it, right? We've talked so much about that in recent weeks. He's above it, below it, inside of it, around it, beneath it, all of it. 
right? He's in everything. And so I want you to picture yourself. Maybe you look like the woman. Maybe you don't. You probably don't. Many of you do not look like the woman. Matter of fact, none of us really look like that woman. Her hands are very large. (laughs) Did you notice? (laughs) But maybe your posture is like that of the woman. Maybe your posture is a different one. Maybe it's kneeling. Imagine yourself in communion with the Father. Imagine yourself, what your posture is when you are submitted to him and living in that sense of identity and care with him. And then you have your boxes, right? And place those around you, just inside your mind. Place those around you and see yourself not in light of these boxes, and maybe they're in your mind, they're piled up like they are here, but see those sort of taking a back seat to the true and central part of our lives, which is Christ. Our identity in Christ is central. And when it is, we have the strength to say no when we need to. We also have the strength of the Holy Spirit to guide our perspective when the weight of caring for our blessings feels like a burden. Because sometimes it does. All these things sometimes feel like a burden, but in reality, they are a blessing. I mean, my children, I wouldn't trade that for anything, right? My husband, the driving might... could go some days. But you get what I'm saying. It's a blessing that these things are in my life, but they need to hold their proper place in light of who God is. Over and over again, God promises rest. And that isn't a byproduct of God bringing everything in our life to an ideal standard. Some of these boxes might always be a little bit cumbersome, But it is in Christ that we receive the kindness that we really need, the joy and the strength that is available to us in him. We've been in Psalm 23 the last few weeks, and I just want to add this thought to that, um, Because again, we see this idea of rest and paths coming together again. But Psalm 23 says this, He lets me rest in green meadows. He leads me beside peaceful streams. He renews my strength. He guides me along right paths. This rest is available to us in Christ. We all need it. We all need to draw on strength from him, and that is found when we make our home in who he says we are and what he has done for us. Amen? Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for the rest that only you can give. I thank you that you are kind and true. And God, I thank you that so many times you can simplify things for us and boil it down for us. God, and I pray for each and every one here, God, that you would bring sort of that sense of clarity on their boxes. Lord, maybe some do need to eliminate some things. But Lord, my guess is for most of us, we've, we've, been, we've done a lot of that already. And God, I pray that you would bring us strength to live the life you have called us to live 
with you and every nook and cranny and corner of all of it, Lord. Give us strength. Give us wisdom, Lord. And we thank you, Lord. We receive your rest today. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.